Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Today, speaking with one of my favorite people to speak with on the topic of investment because he has written so extensively over a long career. His name is Christopher Tan, CEO of Provident, and he wrote a piece for the Business Time a couple of months back talking about the relentless pursuit of better investment options. I'll read you an excerpt from it. He says, My courtship with Vanguard Fund started 16 years ago in 2004. He goes on to say, Our obsession with index funds is not just due to their low costs. It's also because most actively managed funds do not perform better than the average returns of the markets. And those that do outperform don't do it consistently. So today, your guide, how do you invest in index funds in Singapore? What are your options available? Let's Get the expert on the line with us. Christopher Tan is CEO of Provident. How are you doing this Friday? Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Michelle. So good to talk to you again. Yeah, always. I want to start at the absolute beginning for would-be investors Mm. who may not even understand what an index fund is. Right. Well, so an index fund is kind of like a unit trust or sometimes it can also be an exchange-traded fund that actually is constructed to match the component of index. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of jargon, but what it means simply is, for example, if you want to invest in the Singapore market, well, the index that tracks the Singapore market is the Straits Times Index. And in this index, there are like 30 constituent stocks, you know, and, and the names are very familiar names like the banks, you know, SIA, so on and so forth. So if you want to buy this index, you cannot really buy an index directly. You've got to go through it via an index fund that basically copies exactly the components of the index. So if you buy this index fund, well, if the Singapore stock market goes up, then your index will, your fund will go up. And if it comes down, your fund will come down. And there are many index funds around the world that tracks different indices, S&P 500, you know, so on and so forth. That's so in, sim- in, in simple terms, that's what actually an index fund is all about. So it's a fund that seeks to duplicate the performance of a stock market index. That's right. Or are there any other indexes it can track? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you can even track, you know, the gold index, and it may not be the stock market, it can be the bond market. And well, you know, the last I heard, I think it's just on the news yesterday, you know, there's going to be a cryptocurrency index that is going to come out, right? And there are also commodities index, you know. So yeah, it can track different market, not just the commodity, not just, you know, the stock market, but various other markets. Okay. Now, are there alternatives to index funds? Is an ETF an alternative? Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, ETF, otherwise also known as exchange-traded fund, uh, is an alternative. The difference between an ETF and a unit trust or a mutual fund, right, is that well, an ETF is traded in a stock market, right, or on a stock market. Now, so if you buy an ETF, it is like not exactly okay. I'm simplifying things, but it is like you are buying a company that is listed on the stock market that buys the constituent stocks of an index. So when you buy that one ETF, you buy one share of that ETF, you actually own a basket of these stocks from the index. So ETF is one way um, and actually a very good way because it is even lower cost than uh, index fund. 
But another way, which, well, it's not exactly an index, okay, but very close to it, is these kind of funds that are market-based or some people call it factor investing, right? Which, well, is a unit trust that also buys the entire market. It doesn't track the index, but it buys a basket of stocks, like, for example, 8,000 stocks that is as good as the market, as even actually even more than any index, right? And the difference is that for market-based funds, like I say, even though they don't track the index and they buy plenty, the difference is that a small little portion of their holdings, they buy, or what we call tilt, into a few stocks that from academic research will show a higher expected return. Yeah, but again, plenty of jargon. Just know that market-based fund is sort of a good alternative to index funds. Did you call it a factor fund? Uh, some people call it a factor fund. Yeah, and it comes from the word factor. And again, why is it called factor? It's because, well, through academic research, there are a few factors to look for in a stock that can give you a high expected return. Give an example. Mm-hmm. Value stocks is one of them. Right? So through research, it has been shown that over the long term, value stocks do outperform growth stocks. Yes, even though the last few years it has been all about growth stocks, tech funds, you know, and mm-hmm. or tech stocks and all that. But research has shown that over the long term, value stocks, they do better. And value, therefore, is one of the factors to consider in factor investing. Okay, got it. Got it. So when I looked at your article, I saw that you were making a case and sharing your experience um, trying to deal with Vanguard in particular, Vanguard funds when it comes to index funds. Yeah. Can you tell us um, about the options for retail investors that exist in Singapore currently and what are our options for direct investments in these funds? Yeah, well, Michelle, is very sad because... Um, well, when I wrote the article, I wrote it in response to Vanguard uh, closing their office in Singapore mm. and uh, leaving Singapore for good. In fact, they also closed the office at Hong Kong. Yeah, so, well, uh, there are many options for investors who wants to invest directly. They can buy the ETFs. Well, if they don't know how to buy, of course, there are now robo-advisors that give them access to ETF. But the problem with ETF is that we need to know where to buy from. I'll give an example again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can buy an ETF, for example, that tracks the S&P 500, the very popular ETF. You can buy it from the Singapore stock market, no problem. But I'll be honest about it, the Singapore stock market, when it comes to ETF, is not so liquid. And what that means is that you want to buy when you want to sell. It takes a bit more time to get it traded, and the cost can be higher. So that's one problem with ETFs in Singapore. Well, of course, you can also buy this S&P 500 from the U.S. market, mm. right? But, well, again, the difference is, well, you've got to firstly trade in a different time zone. But more importantly, there are actually tax implications because if you buy uh, ETF that's traded in U.S., mm-hmm. well, if you die at the wrong time, <laughs> you have to pay estate duty, right? And estate duty mm-hmm. can be quite high. And a lot of investors, they do not know that, mm. right? So if you want to buy an ETF S&P 500, really the best place to buy is to buy a UCITS ETF. UCITS spells U-C-I-T-S, and you can buy it off the London Stock Exchange, right? So, well, so when you buy ETF, there are all these little nitty-gritty that investors, they need to know. It's not that it's, it's rocket science. It's just that 
you need to have an interest and you need to do a little bit of study. Mm. You need to open a stockbroking account. You know, you need to change your, you need to do a little bit of FX because they are all in US dollars. Or if you buy from LSE or London Stock Exchange, they could be in the British pound. You need to convert it. So, not as, again, not difficult. It's just that you need to have a little bit of interest in that. So, ETF for direct investors is an option. Uh, there is also um, sort of like an index wrapper. It's a bit complicated. Mm-hmm. In Singapore, uh, Lion Global, which is a fund manager, they have wrapped the S&P 500. They have wrapped a few index funds. The downside is that now you've got to pay two layer of fees. You've got to pay Lion Global one layer of fees for wrapping the S&P 500 fund, and then you've got to pay the underlying fees of the S&P 500 fund. And so that makes index funds actually more expensive than they should. And of course, like I said, the third alternative then is just go and do market-based, which in Singapore, there is only one, really. I spoke about it in the article, and that's Dimensional Fund Advisors. Mm, What's the difference between what Dimensional offers and what you've just been describing? Yeah, so Dimensional is what we have spoken about earlier. That's factor-based investing. Factor-based, okay, got it. Right. So in your opinion, there are few options in Singapore. Why do you believe that so? Well, for direct you know, investment in uh, index funds. Yeah, so, well, 16 years ago when I first spoke to the first country manager of uh, CEO of Vanguard Singapore, mm-hmm. um, I asked him, why don't you bring Vanguard in and open it up to retail investors in Singapore? And he said, Chris, well, there are no market. There is no market. I said, what do you mean? He says, because firstly, the Singapore market is already very small. Right, and the financial institutions, the advisors here, they are not so motivated to do all these funds because these funds have no trails. And by that, it means that they don't pay a trailer commission because when we buy a fund, mm-hmm. we pay this fund manager a management fee, right, Michelle? Yep. And what these managers will do is they will cut a portion of these fees and pay it to the distributors or the advisors. So Vanguard doesn't do that because the fees are really so low, like at 0.2%. So they pay nothing to the advisors. And so the advisors, the financial institutions are not so motivated to actually sell them. So, well, because of that, already the market is small. And if very few advisors want to carry it, to set up a fund, to get it registered at MAS, it's going to cost them to set up an office in Singapore. It's just no business case. And, you know, very interestingly, after I wrote that article, I got reconnected uh, with John Robinson, which is the first Vanguard guy I spoke to, you know, he read my article and then he texted me and he said, Chris, I need to tell you when I was first in Singapore Vanguard as the, the number one man, I was specifically told that I'm not a missionary. It's a business. <laughs> so, so sadly, uh, because of uh, business reasons, uh, very sad, although Singapore, we are like the financial center of Asia, we don't have that many access of we don't have access to that many index fund which is really a simple thing <laughs> we just don't have it <laughs> yeah, I'm always amazed at the responses you get from your very controversial articles Chris um, direct responses in fact okay so I, I hope you'll take this listener question Chris yeah. people want to know uh, if they want to invest in the, the Nasdaq they want broad exposure into you know they hear tech is doing so well right tech stocks mm. so they want to buy into Nasdaq the mm. composite index but they know that it's closed at a new all-time high recently and they're worried about going in at this level. What do you say? Yeah, there is a reason why prices are like that, right? So I think if you are 
short-term investor, then yes, you are very concerned about going in at this current rate because you never know what's going to happen to the economy next year. You never know what's going to happen to the stock market next year. You are never going to know what's going to happen to the geopolitical situation next year. It's very hard to guess in the short term. Mm. And you get worried and say, well, this is too high, buy, you know, and, and if I want to sell it next year, am I going to lose money? That's the problem if you do speculation short term. But if you are going to do long-term investing and you are really buying to invest towards, say, a goal that you have maybe in the next 5, 10 years, children's education, funding, buying a property, you really shouldn't have to worry about the price today, right? Because there is a reason for the price where we see it today because, well, these tech companies are doing well. And price is a reflection of future earnings of this company. And obviously, investors know that, well, the Amazon, the Apple, you know, the Facebook, Alphabet, which is Google, because they're doing so well, the price of the index is priced this way, right? You really don't want to buy something that is going down because it tells you that it's not doing well, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you, if you buy today, but you have a long-term horizon, you really shouldn't have to because studies have shown, and I can't say the same, although I can't say the same for the NASDAQ, Right, I have to be careful. I can't say the same for the Nasdaq. Mm. Uh, I've not done enough research on the Nasdaq to make a comment to say that in the long term it'll go up. But I'll just take the S and P five hundred as an example. Over the ninety years of almost hundred years of history of the S and P five hundred, it has always gone up. Right. So if you take a long term view, of course you're not investing for ninety years. But even if you take a ten year, fifteen year view, mm-hmm. right, you don't. I just have to encourage investors don't look at the short term right if you stay for long term don't worry about the price today yeah if you are not trading out because it goes up got it Christopher Tan is CEO of Provident. He's with us today because we're looking at index funds. Because of their lower costs and fees compared to actively managed funds, many investors turn to index funds as an, an option for their investments. What do you think investors, what do you want our investors listening in to be most aware of when investing in index funds? Well, I think um, if there are a few, I'll say the two main things to look out for is number one, tracking error. And the other one is called, I mean, the other one is cost. Yeah, I mean, it's really simple. I mean, that's a really the good thing about investing in the index because, you know, you don't really have to worry about whether the fund managers can pick the stock and beat the market, you know, and all that because that's not their mandate. You know, uh, you don't really have to worry too much about track record because their track record is the market. They're not trying to beat the index. Whereas if you buy uh, actively managed fund that tries to beat the market, you've got to see, you know, who is the manager managing it? Are they a team approach or is a, is a star manager? What is the cost? What is the you know, methodology? What's their track record? Three, five, ten, all that. But when you're investing in an index fund, you are basically saying, I trust the market. But what is important is, well, firstly, how well does the manager track the market, right? Because if they don't track very well and there is a tracking error, we call it. And so let's say, for example, the, the, the S&P 500 goes up by 1% and because of a tracking error, your fund only goes up by 0.5%, for example, being extreme, but then it's not very good because this guy is not a very good copycat, you know. He doesn't copy very well, <laughs> right? It's, you know, like, what, what's so difficult about copying someone, right? But he's not copying very well. So, so there, there is a... I, now I tell my kids that it's good to copy, but please copy properly. <laughs> if you want to copy, better copy properly. So look at the tracking uh, error. That's, that's one. Where would well, I find this tracking error? 
Uh, oh yeah, I mean you can find it on the fact sheets, you know, of all these funds. Uh, it's there, you know, and and uh, okay. you can compare the various fund fact sheet and look at the tracking error. Uh, the other thing that uh, you have to be aware of is the cost. But they are very very close when it comes to uh, index funds. You, you you don't see them being very far apart. But well, in index funds, every percentage or or percentage. 0.1% counts a lot. So what is an average cost, say, for example, of a Vanguard S&P 500 uh, index? Well, it's r- roughly about about 0.2% or even lesser. right? Now, just to give a, a, a reference, if you are buying those very expensive uh, unit trusts and uh, investment-linked policies that Singaporeans love to buy, you are looking at at least 1.5 to 1.9% kind of management fee, right? So you compare 0.2 and 1.5, the difference is your return. So the two things that you really have to think about or be aware of, tracking error is one, uh, cost, and cost you can also find on the fact sheet is stated there. All right. So here's a question. Do I need a fund manager? Can I go online and get access to such funds, Chris? Well, if it's an ETF, you don't need all you really need is that you open a stockbroking account. Yeah, in fact, if you are not opening a local account, if you are lo- opening, like for example, the front accounts like interactive brokers, you know, you don't even need to like have a CDP account, right? So you just need to have a, a, a broker, and you can buy it off the exchange through the broker. If you are buying an ETF, but again, I just want to be very careful and advise listeners that, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, be very mindful of tax issues. Uh, estate duty tax, withdrawal, uh, withholding tax, you know, things like that. Yeah, so study a little bit. Don't just uh, buy it off any exchange. But yes, you don't need a fund manager if you, uh, you don't need anyone actually. You, you just need to have a stockbroking account. However, if you are buying factor, uh, like I mentioned, dimensional funds and uh, all that, well, dimensional funds, they are only distributed via selected advisors, uh, some robos. Uh, not everybody carries dimensional. Not everybody wants to carry this. Why? Again, back to the same reason I've shared earlier, Michelle, that there's no motivation because uh, in the same way like index fund, dimensional, they don't pay a trailer commission to advisor because mm. these are already very low. That's interesting. Interesting yeah. inside fact. Um, how have index funds done during the pandemic? We know the stock market has soared. I just talked to someone a couple of days back, put $1 yeah. million dollars in the stock market during wow. the pandemic. He's doing very well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Uh, it has done very well. And, and it's surprising, right? Because the year didn't start like that. Mm. Right? So that's the thing, you see. That's the thing. If you are short-term and you panic, so if you have been investing, say, for example, I just checked the S&P 500. I'm use, always using the S&P 500, not that there's only one, but it's just that investors need to know that if you want to invest in the global markets, you cannot avoid the U.S. market because the U.S. market constitutes about 54% of the world's stock market in terms of market capitalization. The second biggest stock market in the world is Japan, which is at about 7% only. Right? So, it's, so you cannot huge run goals. away. Yeah. It's a huge difference. So you cannot run away from the American stock market. So if I use the S&P 500, well, this year, year to date, it has done about 13%, 14% thereabout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you would never have thought that it is like that because in February, if you remember, the market came down by about 30%. Yeah, yeah and if you have been short term, you would have gotten out of the U.S. market and you would not have gained this 13%. So, yeah, well, has it done well during this pandemic? Answer is yes. And 
Well, but more importantly, it's not just this year. If you look at the track record of these index funds, I, I mean, like I say, the stock market over the long run has always been going up. And so it, the, the, the index fund that you buy is always, is always growing. It comes down sometimes, but over the long term, it has always been rising. Okay, great to know. Uh, can, I, can I use my CPFI, CPF to buy an index fund? Uh, in Singapore, the only one that you can buy probably, or not the only one, right? You can buy index fund via a, a wrapper, which I say. There is the, uh, the Infinity Series, which is wrapped by London, uh, London uh, Lion Global, LGI. But, well, I just want to say that you are paying a lot for index fund if you go that route because of the second layer of fees that's being charged by uh, Lion, right, LGI, right? Not, I'm not putting them down. They, they have to charge that fee because they, they, they do the job of wrapping it. It's very difficult to explain wrapping in a short program like this. But put it this way, they set up a structure whereby a retail investor can invest, register under MES, and this structure actually buys into the S&P 500 index fund. So you can access using that your CPF. It's just that you just have to know that you pay a second layer of fees and the fees can be double of what you pay if you buy directly. The fees can be even more uh, if you compare to an ETF, which you can just buy off the index. Okay. Uh, off the exchange. When I read your article, I saw, I saw you mentioned the CPFIS and the limitation of the advisory fees to 0.4%. Now, most of us cheered when we saw this happen because we thought, yeah. oh, great, this lowers the cost for investors. Yeah. But you make the argument that actually this may not be good in terms of the options of index funds available here in Singapore. Can you explain a little? Uh, yeah, well, Michelle, if I'm speaking to you right now off the air, I'll spend one hour, you know, griping about this. <laughs> I'm so upset with this. Well, why? Why am I upset? Well, you know, as much as we think, I mean, lowering of the advisory fee, yes, it sounds like it's good. But the problem is this. The problem is that it is going to further not motivate advisors to use low-cost funds. Because when they use low-cost funds, they don't get a commission. Remember I say that all the time? Yeah. Mm. So they buy the index. If they use the index fund for the clients, they are not going to get any trailer commission. So if an advisor... If a very good advisor and a very honest advisor say, no, I'm looking after the interests of the client and I'm going to use a very low-cost fund for you, he only earns 0.4%. And if he's a good advisor, actually that's very low for him because there's a lot of work that this guy, if he's a very good advisor, he has a lot of work to do. He's not just prescribing the fund to you. But well, if he sells a unit trust, an ILP, using your CPF investment, uh, your CPF account, he's going to get 0.4% and he's going to get a trailer commission from the active funds that he sells. He can get as high a trailer for, say, 0.5, even, right? So he gets 1% in all. So here is an advisor now. Mm-hmm. He has one option of making 0.4%. He has the other option of making 1%. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that all advisors are bad. I'm not saying that commission is the only thing. But if we put it on the table, there is really a conflict of interest. Right, so well, whilst we are happy with the 0.4%, I don't think we are not helping the industry, really. We are not encouraging an industry whereby advisors will look for a lower cost access for clients. So that's what I'm not happy about. 
All right. Well, thanks for wrapping that up in in less than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think five minutes is better than hearing me cry for one hour like an old man. <laughs> no, I think you know you have the interests of uh, investors at heart. We can all hear that, and that's great to, to know. Um, can you help us out? Can you put on your advisor's hat? There's so many different kinds of funds out there, right? I go to FSM and I I'm boggled. My mind is boggled by the choices available. Right. So, what do I need to know about getting access to the right funds? Well, I mean, two things if I want to reduce it to the irreducible. Yeah, firstly, look at the way the funds are investing. I mean, the approach. Now, when we say actively managed fund, actually, what do I mean? Well, an active manager try to beat the market. What that means is, if this manager is trying to beat the S&P 500, he will not buy exactly the 500 stocks in its proportion. One way to beat the market is, he will choose the five stocks that he thinks will do better than the 500 or the 10 stocks or 50 stocks that will do better than the 500. Now, if he gets it right, then he does better than the market. Another way to beat the market is he, he reads the events. For example, he thinks that Trump is going to win this election against Biden or he has won, right? But, or, or rather, Biden has won, right? But let's say before the election result, he makes a guess and he thinks that, well, Trump is going to win. And if he is not bullish Trump, he's going to say, I'm going to de-risk. I'm not going to invest in the stock market because the stock market is going to crash, you know, and all that. So I better move to bonds. Mm. Now, this approach is a guessing approach. And there is no reliable evidence out there to show that this approach can consistently beat. In fact, as I've shared, in fact, through a study by SPIVA, okay, SPIVA stands for S&P, okay, Standard & Poor's Invest, uh, Index versus Active, it has been shown consistently, whether 5, 10, 15 years result, that most active managers, they fail to beat the market. And even for those that beat, they only beat for one year, two years, they don't beat it consistently. So consider the approach, right? And that's one way to choose the funds. Choose those that don't try to beat. Okay? Secondly, is always look at cost. Again, I've given that reference point. Right? What is low cost? Low cost is about 0.2, 0.3%. That's low cost. Right? Anything above, okay, if you're getting 0.5, it's still reasonable. But if you're going to buy the fund, it, take a look at the fact sheet. And in fact, the cost is a very telling sign. Once you see cost going up like 1%, in excess of 1%, that is quite likely a fund manager that tries to beat the index because you have to employ very expensive analysts to study and guess the market. Right? So, well, these two things to look for if you are going to FSM1 you know, or you are going to various channels to buy, these are the two simple things you look for. These are foundational investment concepts that will help us invest to reach our financial goals. So we thank you, Chris, for elucidating so clearly these key concepts for us this morning. Great speaking with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much, Michelle. He's Christopher Tan, CEO of Provident, joining us this morning in Money and Me for your guide to index funds. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.